Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. In 1924, Witness Lee was dynamically saved by the Lord as a young man in his native China, and he promptly consecrated the rest of his life to the gospel. He co-labored with Watchman Nee for parts of the next three decades, and in 1962, Witness Lee was led by the Lord to come to the United States. During his 35 years of service to the Lord in America, he ministered in weekly meetings and weekend conferences, delivering thousands of spoken messages. Much of his speaking has since been published as more than 400 titles, many of which have been translated into numerous foreign languages. He gave his last public conference in February 1997 at the age of 91. We're happy today to be able to bring you recorded excerpts from his speaking and encourage you to contact us if you have any further questions or comments. Please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. It seems upon a casual reading of the Old Testament that the central focus of the book is the law of Moses. When God brought Moses to the mountain and delivered the Ten Commandments, that surely was a key moment, a key factor in God's dealing with his people Israel. But in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us that the law was not part of God's original intention for man. Rather, it was something added due to man's failures and sins. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, Why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, it being ordained through angels in the hand of a mediator. Actually, God's intention for man has never changed. From the beginning, he has desired that he himself would be everything to man. In Jeremiah, he lamented that his people Israel had forsaken him, the fountain of living waters. If we have this view of God's eternal desire, our understanding of such Old Testament books as Jeremiah will be greatly uplifted. Francis Ball has joined us today. Actually, Francis, we talk about this book now in this kind of light. It's like talking about a New Testament book, isn't it? It really is. It's quite something that Jeremiah would come on the scene at this late time in Israel's history and really call to mind where their beginning was and what their end would be. We had a couple of programs recently where Witnessley described this era as the sunset of the divine revelation and brought out on Sinai when Moses was getting this high revelation. That was really the dawning or the sunrise of the divine revelation for Israel. But we really see them in this period of uh, terrible decline, and to call it a sunset seems pretty appropriate, doesn't it? It does. I think this is something that should open our eyes, too, as a New Testament believer. Yeah, there's a uh, an absolutely uh, critical application here that we don't want to lose sight of when we talk about a historical book like this, and a lot of the things we touch seem to be just uh, Old Testament history, but it's how it applies to us in relating to God and walking with God and really understanding God and His eternal desire and eternal intention for man that, that really makes these Old Testament books uh, very, very appropriate for us, don't they? I think this particular book is really crucial to our situation today because we, too, were brought to the Lord in a very loving way, a redeeming way, and yet how many times we have gone astray just like Israel did. 
So I hope this would be a real awakening to all of us New Testament believers as well as the prophecy concerning Israel in the Old Testament. Well, let's take a look at some of these uh, verses that give us this history. It's on the dark side. It shows Israel in their decline in this uh, period that he has described as a sunset. And we uh, have made this verse in chapter 2, 13, about uh, forsaking Jehovah, the fountain of living waters, and hewing out cisterns that hold no water. This is really, I think, the touchstone verse or hallmark Mm -hmm. verse in the whole book. Now we see Israel having forsaken him and becoming involved with idolatry. And even, uh, as we'll see in the couple of verses I want to read now, not just involved in a casual way, but coordinating together yeah, right. in the pursuit of idols and worshiping idols. This is really uh, must have been a, a heart-wrenching thing for God after all that he had been to them in their journey out of Egypt and through the wilderness. So let's look at these verses. Chapter 5, got a verse here, then one in chapter 7 and one in chapter 9. Why should I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the house of harlots. Now, chapter 7, verse 9, The children gather wood, and the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. This is that uh, coordination, isn't it? We see yeah, it there, right. Francis, the whole family coordinating together yes. in the worship of idols. Finally, chapter 9, verse 2. Oh, that I had a traveler's lodging place in the wilderness, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For all of them are adulterers and an assembly of treacherous men. Oh. This is the, the Lord's really opening his heart here, isn't mm. he? Made it very clear that their way has been to turn away from him as the fountain of living waters and as the only true God. Really so. All right, let's join Witness Lee as he uh, brings up this matter we began the program with today, and that is in what context do we really see and understand the law as it was given to Moses? Here's Witness Lee. Paul tells us clearly that the law was not God's original purpose. Originally, God didn't intend to give us law. Paul says, law was something added. It was not originally intended. Why? Because after God presented his purpose to man, man didn't take it. Rather, man followed the other one to try to do something by himself. Then God came in to add the law. Yes, the law is something added, but the law still presents us the same kind of picture. You know, what the Ten Commandments portray. Firstly, God says, don't have idols. Then don't make idols. Then don't worship idols. Then don't profane all my holy things like the Seventh day. The fifth commandment is concerning the honoring our parents. But God ranks the fifth commandment with the first four. We, the children, all have to realize our parents, they are our source. As they are our source, they are considered by God as God's representative. 
to honor your parents that equals to worship God, to disobey, to do evil to the parent, that means what? That means you reject God. So the first four plus the fifth one, they form one section. That's concerning God. Then second part of the Ten Commandments are not kidding, not commit fornication, not steal, not lie, not covet. These five are just virtues expressing God's five attributes. So the Ten Commandments presents us a picture of God. The Ten Commandments is just a photo of God. So God gave people the Ten Commandments is just to tell people God wants people to be His duplication. Well, Francis, this takes us uh, back to a lot of fellowship we had when we were enjoying the life study of Exodus and uh, when God was on the mountain there giving these commandments, to see the commandments not so much as a set of instructions as rather a photo, a picture Mm -hmm. of what God is and thereby expressing his desire for how he wants us to be. I think this is marvelous for us to be able to see this at this stage in our history. When he created man, he made clear what his intention was to be everything to man. But then man fell and took another way. And so now God gives the Ten Commandments not to get people to try to obey, but to realize who he is and what his desire is. And I think this is really what we need today, not to hew out a cistern for replacing the living water, but to realize that we have failed and realize who God is and what he wants, what his intention was. He presents the uh, Ten Commandments here in this quick summary way, and a lot of Bible scholars have seen this aspect. Let's talk about it for just a moment, and that is that the Ten Commandments really are broken into two groups. The first group has to do with God, including the fifth one about honoring our parents, but really as our source and thereby identifying our parents even with God. The second five are all about these virtues, these attributes, which really are not virtues and attributes that we possess, but they are the virtues and attributes that God possesses, That's aren't right. they? That really is a clear way to see the Ten Commandments, those first five. And I didn't realize until I heard this ministry that the Fifth Commandment really is a part of the first group, and that is to honor the parents. And this means to honor our source. And in that sense, our parents stand representing God as our source and over us. So this really puts our understanding of the Ten Commandments in a different light to show what God is and then actually show what he wants. And giving us this portrait expresses his desire that for us to become or to express these same virtues and attributes in a sense makes us a kind of a duplication of what God is in his life and in his nature. Of course, never in his deity, in his Godhead, but a clear picture here of what's in God's intention. And as you said, going all the way back to the beginning when God said that man is created in his image and should possess his dominion. And uh, Mm -hmm. this is really the key that unlocks an understanding of the whole Bible, doesn't it? It does, Chris. And I'm so impressed with this uh, realization of what the law or what the Ten Commandments were to Israel. It was a disclosure 
that God is God, and there's none like him, but that he has a way to put himself into his creature man right. to cause all these attributes of his to be expressed in human virtues. This is too marvelous, and this is, fits right in with God's eternal purpose, that God wants to be everything in Christ, in his believers, so that we become, as you said, a duplication of God in all his attributes. Wonderful. Well, of course, in Genesis, shortly after God opened initial intention up, his enemy comes in, spoils the situation. Now we see Israel at a high point again, receiving the revelation on the mountain. And uh, shortly thereafter, once again, God's enemy emerges and uh, comes in, and the whole situation is spoiled once more. But we see in Jeremiah, despite this low, dark, deplorable situation, the hopeful sign that God will not leave his people in this state perpetually. I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 23 here and read a few verses that will help set up the last two portions of the program. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. Indeed, days are coming, declares Jehovah, when I will raise up to David a righteous shoot. And he will reign as king and act prudently and will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called Jehovah, our righteousness. As Jehovah lives, who brought up and led back the seed of the house of Israel out of the land of the north and out of all the lands where I had driven them, that they might dwell in their own land. Wow, a wonderful restoration oh, coming wonderful. and a clear picture that uh, the one is coming, this righteous shoot out of David. Well, let's go back to Witness Lee Francis. While the law was being given on the mount, the second factor in this universe, the Satan, came in. The second factor on earth caused Israel to make a calf, to make an idol, and worship the idol. You know the people at the foothill of Sinai? They did large evil things. Nearly all the Ten Commandments were broken. And from that time onward, 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 onward to the time Jeremiah, I tell you, the whole law, including Ten Commandments, was broken. So, to Jeremiah's time, the preaching of the law has reached this high peak. Idols, idols, idols. Not only worshiping idols, they make idols. So all together, the last, the image, the likeness of God, God became finished. God seemed to give up the whole thing. Actually, God would never give up. And his compassions do not fail. Children of Israel are still living on this earth. So Jeremiah eventually prophesied there will be a restoration time. In the restoration time, God will bring all his scattered, dispersed people together back to his holy land. At that time, Christ will come. This means what? Only Christ himself is the answer to God's economy. No one can fulfill God's economy. 
Only Christ can. And he will come first to be our righteousness, secondly to be our redemption, thirdly to be our all-inclusive inner life, including to be our food, and including to be our drink. This is all developed clearly in New Testament. Well, Francis, it's wonderful to see this coming time of restoration that we read about in chapter 23, Jeremiah prophesying in such a way, an encouraging way, Israel will be returned to the land and restored in a marvelous way. But if we lose sight of this one portion in the middle of this passage that we read, when Jehovah will raise up to David a righteous shoot who will reign as king, mm-hmm. uh, we miss everything. And I think if we uh, can get distracted looking at the prophetical things and wondering when the restoration will come or what stage it's in today, we really have to see Christ in the center of all this, don't we? And I think that is really the subject of the whole Bible, Yeah, Christ. So here it's brought again as a promised one who will come who can fulfill all of God's righteous requirements. So what a wonderful thing that we have a picture of God in the law Uh and the Ten Commandments, but we have the real expression of God in the coming of Christ. And all that God intended for Israel can be worked out only by this one wonderful person. That's something he comes not only to be our righteousness, but I like how he concluded his phrase there. This righteous shoot satisfies God's righteousness, and he comes to be our redemption but so that he can also become our very life, including our food and our drink, bringing us back to the fountain that we Mm -hmm. forsook and bringing us back to the tree of life that we were barred from in the Garden of Eden. This is really Christ in his uh, heart's desire manifest to man, isn't it? That is so. And the way you speak it here, Chris, uh, makes it so clear that this is a very applicable section for us to see today as believers in the New Testament. I think that's borne out very, very strongly in our final section today, Francis. Jeremiah speaks to Israel in chapter 2, and this is a verse we've read a number of times. Let's read it again in verse 2. Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Jehovah, I remember concerning you the kindness of your youth, the love of your bridal days, when you followed after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown, He points to Israel and reminds them of when they were espoused to him as a bride, as espoused to her husband, this wonderful tender picture. Mm -hmm. But it's not only Israel that is uh, subject to this kind of wandering off and losing this love relationship. We'll see in this coming portion in Revelation chapter 2, John writes to us, but I have one thing against you, that you have left your first love Very similar warning here, isn't there? It certainly is. This whole thing applies very much to our situation, how we met the Lord and we received him as our Savior and we bathed in his love and we had such a gracious, tender, loving care in his redemption of us and his salvation. But how many times we've gone astray, how we've turned to idolatry. We've even made idols out of things that God has given us himself. So I think we're going to get some fresh light from this last section with Brother Lee. Good. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Christ came to be our Savior. Christ came to be our Redeemer. But the final goal is to be our life, to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer. These are steps Christ would take to be our life. 
and to be our lives, to be everything to us, to be our food, to be our supply, to be our law, to be our regulation, to be our capacity, energy, strength, power, and so forth, to be our everything. By that time, the household of the Israel race all repent, all receive this Christ to be there. Redemption, justification, life. Then everyone will drink the fountain of living water and everyone will eat the tree growing in this river. Then everybody, everybody will become the same as God in nature, in life, in appearance, in image, in likeness, in everything. Now, what Jeremiah depicted about Israel is just a first copy of what we are. I say the first copy, and the second copy is just we. We are the same. No difference. Every seeking Christian has found out that after they got saved, they like to love the Lord. They did have a brighter day with God. And God did have a honeymoon with them. Right? Eventually, we all have found out we have first become Ephesus, losing our first love. Then we became Samaria, Terra, this and that, even Laodicea. What's this? What's this? Degradation. To the extent we got disappointed. But the Lord would never be disappointed. Amen. There will be time of restoration. After so much failures, God came in. Lastly, finally, God came in. I will make a new covenant with you. I will put myself into you to become your love. Hallelujah. So, in front of us, is just a picture showing us that we are nothing. Don't expect anything of yourself. Francis, we have the wonderful prophecy in chapter 23, pointing to the coming of Christ. Then in chapter 31, he tells us of this coming new covenant, declares Jehovah, I will put my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This goes far beyond just presenting the law externally as a set of uh, behavioral standards, doesn't it? This is marvelous, because for God to put his law within us means that he has become the spirit in our spirit to be the law of life. Wow. So that we could live by him and even express him, being one with him. What a marvelous recovery, that this is the real intention God has for his people. We have the picture in the Old Testament with Israel, Mm -hmm. but praise the Lord, we have the reality in the New Testament with God's redeemed people. He intends to put everything that he is into us that we may live by him, even live him, and express him so that we become the real Ten Commandments in reality just to be a duplication of Christ who has gotten into us to be everything to us. Even our failures and our falling short and missing the mark uh, become uh, useful to God in demonstrating to us that we really have no possibility of achieving this out of our own effort, our own capacity or capability, do we? We have to realize this, that we cannot do what we think we can do. 
So we have to have Christ to do everything in us and for us. So he redeemed us for this purpose that he could get into us. He became the spirit so he could be life to us. And now we can live by him. He can live his life in us. And if you think you can do it, you just go back and start hewing out your cisterns and see how much water they will hold. I have to confess, Chris, I've hewn out a few cisterns myself, yeah. and they don't hold any water. We end up uh, every bit uh, just like Israel, don't we? That's right. But we have Christ. Israel is a picture of what we are. Yep. Well, Francis, marvelous fellowship today. Something how these Old Testament messages that touch this dark history of the fallen, degraded Israel really become the source of a marvelous new sunrise in our appreciation of the divine revelation. Aye, wonderful. Well, join us again very soon, if you would. I'd like to. Good. We'll look forward to it. We hope you'll contact us as well. Our toll-free number, if you'd like to call us about getting the printed life study messages or finding out about any of the other material we have here at Living Stream, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Weil. Thank you very much for listening today. Do you want to know the deeper truths of the Bible? Wish you could attend a Bible study, but just don't have the time? Well, if you enjoyed this program, then we invite you to visit our website at lsmradio.com. From there, you'll find programs on every book of the Bible and all free of charge. These programs will not only give you a more profound understanding of the scriptures, but also refresh and revitalize your daily Christian walk. From our website, you can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or subscribe to the podcast. Again, all free of charge. Once more, that website, lsmradio.com. Thanks for listening.